Welcome to a very special edition of Rated Golf. Now, I'll tell you what, you would have heard our extended preview for the third major of the year, the US Open taking place at Torrey Pines. We had delivered it, we had published it. It was out. It was ready to roll, and we're happy with it. And we thought, we've done our jobs. Let's watch the tournament. And the next time you hear from myself and Tyron, will we be when we're reviewing it. However, a couple of hours prior to teeing off, of the third major of the year. We got a message, Ty. Well, you got a message from a legend of the game, particularly when it comes to the US Open. Yeah, Derek, and uh, it was a little bit of a, a starstruck moment for me, um, but it was, it was great. I, I reached out to uh, the 2005 US Open winner and I said, you know, we want to chat US Open. Would you be keen? And of course, because he is from the same President's Cup team as we would be part of uh, you and I are a little bit further away from selection it was like yeah man of course and and so tonight in a very special edition or today whenever you're listening we have none other than 2005 US Open champion Michael Campbell with us Michael Campbell welcome to the show Hi guys, nice to be on the show. Thank you very much for for the invite. Uh, I, I tell you what, the pleasure is certainly all ours. Uh, a massive name, especially ahead of uh, the US Open. Mike, are, are you excited? Of course, you're going to be teeing it up. Just quickly touch base where, where you currently are and uh, the tournament that you'll be competing in. Yeah, well now I'm a, an old old uh, old golfer now i'm 52 I'm, I'm playing the legends tour over here in europe so i'm in travaux which is our first first event in the last two years because of COVID, obviously so i'm here now in england just um preparing to play start play on, on friday so yeah um i started a new chapter in my life really started playing uh, more golf i retired about six years ago or seven eight years ago whatever it was and and always wanted to come back and start playing again so here i am playing the uh playing the Legends Tour here in Europe, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and there's certainly uh, a couple of legends in the mix, just uh, looking at uh, the field. We've got the great Dane, Thomas Bjorn, here, of course, uh, having captained Europe in their, their last Ryder Cup victory, which uh, take place uh, took place in France. Uh, yourself, the likes of Ian Woosnam, we've got Peter Baker, Paul Laurie, so a veritable who's who of uh, golfing stars from yesteryear. Yeah, it's nice to see the boys again. You know, it's um, been my peers for a long time and been out there now competing because I'm such a competitor. As you know, we all are really in some sort of way. And I've always liked to compete against these guys and, and did okay on a few occasions. But uh, it's nice to see them. It's more, it's definitely more relaxed out here right now. Uh, and it's the same with the Champions Tour in America too. But uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So there's not many sports really, if you think about it, they can, you can have a second go. And uh, here I am. Yeah, we've seen a resurgence of the coverage of Champions Tour here in South Africa uh, because of Ernie else going across. And obviously the likes of Phil uh, has played on the Champions Tour. The first player to, of course, play on the Champions Tour and then go win a major. That was a pretty cool uh, thing to watch. And uh, obviously as someone you played against over the years, must have been pretty chuffed for Phil. Yeah, there's one thing that's uh, he's really inspired the older the older players, you could say, obviously, Richie Goosen also is playing over there in the Champions Tour, and uh, you mentioned Ernie. Um, it, it's great. It goes, it goes to show that really the the ball, the golf ball reacts to physics and nothing else. doesn't know your age, whether you're female or male. It's purely on physics. And obviously, Phil's worked very hard and what he's been doing with um, 
his swing coach and mental coach and that sort of stuff and going to the gym, working out. And to see him win, you know, a couple of months ago, the PGA tournament was uh, inspirational. And, yeah, he's, I think, a little bit younger than me, I think two years younger than me, but uh, it's great. It's great to see that you can go out there with the young kids who bomb it such a, <laughs> a long way and, and still compete and, and still win. So that's uh, it's, it's great to see. Yeah, and obviously talking majors, full when when the PGA, but this is a time in the year where uh, your notifications get buzzing a little bit more because in 2005 you did what every single amateur golfer around the world dreams of, and that's winning a major. Obviously, every professional dreams of it even further. But uh, I mean, it, it does. I mean, it, it's 16 years later. Does it still sometimes? Uh, lead you to almost a pinch me moment to to be like, hey, hang on, I I want a major. Yeah, of course it does. That's one thing I always said. Is, um as a kid is have tall dreams. I mean, my biggest dream really when I was probably 10, 12 years old was to be an All Black. <laughs> you can relate to that. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It wasn't big enough, strong enough, fast enough. So I thought I'll give uh, golf a crack. So here I am. So yeah, it's um it's one of those things that. You know, every time I see it, especially this week, I see it all the time, the adverts for the US Open covers, you know, on, in America. And obviously I've got the trophy at home, a, a, a replica at home that I see every day sort of thing. So, and, you know, to be mentioned in the same sentence as these uh, incredible players like Retief and like Ernie and like Gary Player, uh, Jack Nicholas, obviously Tiger, uh, Hal Irwin, uh, Lee Javino, all the greats of golf. It's just a great honour. I'm very humbled. Tell you what, Michael, we can definitely re- relate when you speak about that with the rugby connections. I mean, I, I grew up dreaming to be a springbok. I, I couldn't achieve that then. I dreamt about being the, the next Ernie Els, and, and it certainly was a dream. You went one further because... Well, you couldn't make it as an all-black. You could make it as a, as a major winner. Uh, unfortunately for my, uh, ty, myself and Ty, uh, we just stuck here interviewing major winners. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to take it back 10 years prior to, to the US Open victory. Let, let's start from the beginning because you played one of the all-time great rounds when it comes to majors back in 1995 at the home of golf, St. Andrews. That third round performance at the Open, a 65, which saw you take a two-shot lead going to the final round. You've done your homework, haven't you? Oh, I've, I've been following. I mean, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I, 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 I've watched golf all my life and famous rounds like that. I mean, that, that bunker shot yeah. from the road hole. Yeah, uh, this, this one of those freakish rounds where probably it's definitely the best round of golf of my life. I mean, I shot 65 and blustery conditions. It was tough at St. Andrews. And I think the average score that day was 74.5 and I shot 65. So I went from like 30th to like leading by you know, two or three shots going to the final round. And uh, that was an incredible uh, moment for me because I just turned pro uh, two years earlier. So I was very young, naive, didn't really have the mental fortitude really to finish it off. Um, so, you know, I, I look at that as a, a, learning, a learning curve for me. Uh, I just knew I wasn't good enough to win a major. So I needed more time to focus, not so much on the physical game or the, uh, the swing, but more mental. Um, because I knew physically I, I knew I had the game to play to, to win a major, but I knew I wasn't strong enough mentally. So now I always look at adversity or fails as a positive. That's how you learn. 
because the signal for growth. I think when you fail every time, you got to understand this game. Okay, people don't realize this. 22% is Tiger's win rate. So wow. he teams up 100 times in the tournament, and he wins, and he wins 22%. Nicholas is like 19%. Ernie's like 7%. Mine's 2%. So in golf, okay, for all the young kids out there listening to this um, podcast, it's you fail more than you succeed. It's simple as that. It's maths. So every time you fail, look at it as a positive. Every time you lose a tournament by one shot or miss the cut or hit a bad shot, look at it as a positive, not a negative, because that is a signal for growth. You've got to use adver- adversity to your advantage or turn it around. And that's my advice to these young kids, because I see a lot of young kids out there right now who I'm coaching and um, every time they hit a, and, and every time they have a bad tournament, they think it's the end of the world. No, it's not. It's all about learning from that. Learning from why did you make mistakes? Was it a technical fault? Was it a mental fault? Was it you know, course management? Was it this? There's so many different um, reasons why you fail, but you got to learn from it. That's how you get better and and perform better. There, there are two schools of thought because I, I agree wholeheartedly that the, the more you fail, the more you're able to succeed and, and, and learn from your failures. But you look at someone like, and, and, and I, I don't like to harp on about someone that, that, that did badly because he's done far better than I could ever do. But if people talk about kind of choking when it comes to, to a major, we, we look at a, a Jean van der Felder at Carnoustie in 1999. And of course, this took place after your performance at the Open, but you could have gone one of two ways. You could have thought, well, I'm never going to win a major and I've just thrown it away, which you hadn't because you only had a two-stroke uh, lead going into that final round and, and you uh-huh. didn't do too badly in that final round. Or you could turn it around and say, from adversity, like you say, I'm going to strive and, and, and make sure that I, I get my hands on one of the big four. And that's exactly what you did. Ten years later, though, I mean, it's a whole decade later and, and you yeah, went and, and, and captured a major. Yeah, but it's, it's called patience. <laughs> <laughs> Golf is about patience. It's simple as that. Yeah, along the way, I've won a few tournaments along mm. the way, you know, in the span of 10 years, but it's patience. Uh, you just got to stick. You got to just believe in yourself, the inner, inner belief, the inner strength. You got to keep it going because, yes, you're going to fail. Uh, it's just, uh, it's mathematical. Just, just still touching on that uh, performance over at St. Uh, Andrews in, in 1995. Uh, you needed an eagle at the last uh, to go through and force a player for John Daly. Missed out on that. But you had a front row seat to one of the greatest putts we've ever seen in golf. Constantino Rocca needing that putt. I mean, did you think that there's there no ways? I mean, I'm sure everyone else yeah. did. John Daly was, had his hand on yeah. the, the old Clara Jack. Yeah, I remember that uh, very, very clearly. I was in the last group with Constantino Rocco, and um, it, it was such a cool moment because being in the last group, they rip off the crowds behind you, so you're surrounded by, I don't know, 60,000 people. It was just a really, really cool moment and something I'll never forget. Um, yeah, so after he duffed his chip, uh, he had this. He had to go through the valley of sin. He had like a 35-footer, 40-footer. Mm. So it was, I was so happy for him, you know. I finished third, but I uh, had a chance to tie John and, and Constantino, but uh, left my eagle putt short by about three, four feet. So, but once again, it was a moment that I always cherish and be 
you know, in my memory forever. And, um, you know, I just knew I wasn't ready to win uh, a major. And I knew it was there and came close a few times after that. But, uh, yeah, 2005 was when it, when it all happened. Well, and, and Mike, it, it almost didn't happen in 2005 because you had to go through a qualifying and uh, on the last hole. And, and I actually didn't recall this. I, I read it today when I was uh, just checking facts and stuff. Uh, you needed to sink a, a fairly decent putt on the last hole to qualify. You know, I, I know that uh, I, I really struggle over one foot putts, uh, <laughs> something lying on them. The write-ups say six foot, but that would have felt like 16 foot to you. Uh, I mean, do you recall much of that qualifying tournament? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> lucky enough, I only like a 45 minute drive from my house. So I teed off at 7 30 in the morning. I'm playing with Steve Webster. And I wasn't going to go, actually, because I was tired. I played five weeks in a row. I was playing well. But, um, you know, to commit to that, you need to buy, you know, it was. It was yeah, it's a long story. But anyway, um, on the last hole, uh, Steve Webster hits to about 12 feet. And I hit to like 11 feet. And I had to move my coin because I was right on Steve Webster's uh, line of his putt. So obviously what you do, Steve hits it. And it's a right to left putt. And it went straight. He missed it because he's on the same score as me. So I replaced my coin and aimed inside right and then went in. So it just lipped in. And I was the last person to qualify. Yeah. So, you know, things like that is just, it's kind of freakish. You, know, you call it fate, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, things happen for a reason. And I, and then uh, the rest is history. <laughs> so. And I mean, I was going to say, we're, at that point in time, obviously it's just the joy of, of qualifying. But uh, at any point in that build up, did you, did you feel something different? Because obviously 2005 was a very good year for you uh, on the pro tour. But I mean, at, at any point, did you think this is it, this is it? Or, or was it more of a uh, case of feeling it out in the week? No. Well, the thing is that um, I was playing well. Uh, well. Basically what happened was at start of 2005, I missed, I think five cuts in a row. I was playing terribly shooting eighties and, you know, couldn't hit the fairway, hitting it like 50 yards right and left. And, I said, okay, I had enough of this. So I flew to America around, I can't remember, April or something like that, April, May, maybe. And I practiced 10 hours a day with my coach for five weeks, and we found this, I call it a golden nugget <laughs> uh, in my golf swing. And I came back to Europe, and then all of a sudden I finished top 10, top five, top three. It's like a nice little momentum run for me. So and then I qualified for the US Open. Then uh, I think a month later we went to uh, – North Carolina, to Pinehurst, and played the course for the first time. I really liked it. I was quietly confident. You know, I thought, okay, I can – because it wasn't a long course. I'm not long off the tee, so it wasn't a long course, but it really uh, required a lot of distance control with your irons, which is one of my strengths at that time. And I, I liked it a lot, and I thought, okay, then, after playing two rounds of golf, uh, practice rounds, I thought, hmm, I like this course. It really suits my eye. Um, top 10 would be good was my goal. And and obviously as the week went on, uh, Retief was leading, he was playing great golf, defending champion. Um, and after three rounds, I think I was like four shots ahead, well, sorry, four shots behind Retief. And I, I actually had lunch with Retief before we teed off. And Retief and I are pretty good buddies and we're talking about, you know, stuff, about 
the family, just normal stuff. And uh, we had a nice conversation. I, I left the table and then started warming up for the last round. And, and after six holes, I found myself leading the tournament. And I thought, wow, I went to Retief. And I saw the leaderboard. It's just, just unfortunately for him, you know. And fortunately for me, uh, he was just he was just shooting high numbers. So that gave me the opportunity to lead the tournament, and I was leading after I think seven seven holes or six holes, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, Tiger started appearing, and he was like I think one shot, two shots behind me. And Jason Gore was there; he he faded. He faded. You know, Sergio was there; he faded. And all of a sudden, after ten holes, well, sorry, after nine holes, I was standing on the tenth tee because Tiger was playing in front of me. Uh, I was one shot ahead with nine holes to play against Tiger. And that was a lot of fun. I, I was going to say, um, you know, one of the big things is at the end of the day, you know, people will, will look at it and say, okay, you won. That's great. And, and you know, um, they, you can never take anything away from it. But then they're going to say, but who came second? And when somebody tells you it was Tiger Woods, you know, arguably, arguably the greatest golfer ever, uh, with no disrespect to to Jack, um, and and we all know the Tiger on a Sunday goes crazy. Tiger Sunday Tiger with the crowds is sensational. I mean, how much of an impact did that make once you had turned that uh, you knew Tiger was, you know, in in shot. He wasn't leading. He was, but he was putting the pressure on you. Well, it's one thing that you got to understand, you know, when you got to that, when we got to that tournament, Tiger just won Augusta. You know, it's his tenth major. <laughs> uh, no one the world by far. Uh, phenomenal player. Uh, I was lucky enough to play with Tiger a lot during that year, or during the last five years or so before then. Got to know him quite well, um, but I saw him as just a normal human being, um, as a guy playing golf who's, who's a, extremely very very good. <laughs> playing the game but I think it's your attitude towards it you know a lot of people you see in the past when you see Tiger's name you know climb at leaderboard they just kind of go okay I'm not good enough uh, let Tiger win sort of thing but I'll never forget uh, a moment uh, during the last round of intensity Tiger's um, playing partner was uh, hidden in the bushes and asked for a ruling right so I'm standing there for 10 minutes on the 10th tee and that's a long time to think and I, never, uh, I, I recall, because I like reading books about uh, the mental part of the game. Um, yeah, mental part of the game. Mm. And some, some books I read are unrelated to golf. It's all about just normal life. And I remember reading this book called uh, uh, by Bruce Lee called Zen and the Martial Arts, I think it's called. Yeah, I think it's called that. And he, he talks about uh, your mind and your energy, you know, your yeah, energy or your nervous system being water, flowing water, right? Uh, and it also mentions about uh, how you can choose what to what to think and what to say to yourself. You know, so it's like that. Your brain's like he said, it's like your your brain's like an empty cup, and you can fill it with anything you want. You have a choice of thoughts and feelings. And so I remember standing on that tee for that 10 minutes with an empty cup, pouring this amazing stuff into my mind, like I'm deserving, I've worked hard for this, I can beat Tiger, Tiger's only human. Uh, there's, there's like, I don't know, there's hundreds of things, and my cup was overflowing. But there was one sentence that came from the, uh, 
no one taught me this, um, the golfing gods that said, you know, see this as an opportunity, not a threat. And no psychologist taught me that. It just came to me. And so when I teared off number 10, and I can say this now in hindsight, but I knew I was going to, I was going to win. <laughs> I just knew it. Because once again, if you uh, if I stand on that 10th tee thinking I'm not good enough, Tiger always wins majors, he's great. You know, see what I mean? See the difference there? It, mm. it's, it's, it's night and day. It's black and white. It's just so it's, – it's very simple thing to do because as all humans on this planet, we have a choice of what to think and what to feel. Yeah, man, I couldn't have said it any better. At what point did you feel like the job was done? Uh, Because obviously there was a stage, I think about 14, 15, where you had about a four-stroke lead. Obviously you bogeyed uh, a bit at the end, uh, and Tiger got a birdie on 18th to to close the gap and make it look closer. But uh, at what point did you think, uh, all right, job done? Um, I had a nice – well, the 17th hole is my favorite hole. Uh, because uh, I birdied it three times out of four. <laughs> and on, on the last round, the final round, I had eight irons about 20 feet and hold a putt. So the three-shot lead going to the last round. Oh, sorry, last hole. Uh, so I kind of knew that if I didn't do a Jean Vandeville, I'd be okay. <laughs> There's no water around, so it was, a, it was a short par four, like a driver seven iron. And, yeah, so I, as soon as I hold that putt, I kind of knew. But I still had to hit, you know, Four more shots. <laughs> so try to keep in the present time. I know it's a, it's a cliche of golf. It's used a lot, but it's so simple. It's very, very important to keep in the because you know, the point of power is in the now. You know what we're doing right now is is is, is, is important, and uh, not what what we said. You know, fifteen minutes ago, or what we're going to do in, in the future. It's all about now. So uh, I just refocused on on my tee shot and then yeah and that was it that's pretty much how i felt going through that 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 back nine i mean i spoke about one of the great rounds in in majors was yours 10 years earlier but uh one of the great nines was your performance in that back nine Uh, i always look at charles schwartzel's performance when when he won his one and only green jacket at augusta as, as one of the supreme putting performances and and your performance on that back nine was right up there. The 10th, the 12th, the 17th. I mean, the birdies that you sunk there, they weren't three, four, five footers. They were easily, they were past the 10, 12, 14 range. And, and you drained them. Yeah, well, funny thing about that. Uh, I was playing, I hit the ball quite nicely. And the Monday, so we're going back here. Monday, the first practice round, um, I decided to use a belly putter. <laughs> and my, co- oh, my Did coach- you just decide then? I'm going to do it on the eve of a major. I'm just going to switch. Yeah, because I was putting so poorly. <laughs> so my my coach turns up, Jonathan Yardwood, who I've been with for a long time now, and he sees me and goes, Michael, what are you doing? So he, he threw the batty putter in the bin, and he said, look, grab your putter. And we actually went to a different golf course to practice for like three hours, my putting. And we found another golden nugget, <laughs> you could say. Uh on my putting so we didn't practice on the first day we didn't practice uh at the venue pinehurst we went to a golf course 20 minutes away it was it was it wasn't no one around it was quiet so we can really focus on what we're doing and he found another golden nugget so my putting was hot that that um 
that week. So it's amazing how things go like that. You know, it's once again, you know, without Jonathan's input about his opinion, I would have putted with a belly putter and probably finished last. So <laughs> you never know. And, this is quite amazing. And, and to go and practice your putting on a, on a nearby course, whose greens were certainly nowhere near as tough as what you find over at Pinehurst. I mean, I remember my overriding memory of those Pinehurst greens. I mean, shot after shot, if you hit it maybe two, three feet past the hole, there's a chance it would run down. And, and it happened so, so often. Retief, I mean, geez, that, that, that final round you spoke about, he just put up high numbers. I mean, he was that was his cardinal sin. Um, if you didn't leave it short and you went over... You were likely, they were almost on these little hills, it looked like, from, from the television point of view. I'm sure it must have been even more daunting while you were right there. Well, it's, it's amazing. When you're in control of your game, it doesn't look daunting. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, that week was the best golf I've ever played in my life, unquestionably. I mean, uh, the way I played, uh, everything, my bunker shots, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Oh, another story I want to tell you, too. Sorry, is that uh, I played with VJ Singh. VJ and I are very good friends. And on a Tuesday, I played with VJ. And I was struggling with my bunker shots. And uh, I, I saw him play these lovely little bunker shots. I said, What are you doing, VJ? So he told me, You know, I just do that, do that, do that. And all of a sudden, my bunker shots were great. I said, I said, Thanks, mate. So, you know, it's one thing I love about this tour is although we're competing against each other, we always have help each other out. It's just a cool thing. That's one thing. And then, 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 so, so that week I hit in seven bunkers, you know, seven bunkers and got up and down six times and hold one. <laughs> so, yeah. And that was in the, the third round, if I'm not mistaken, when you hold one. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And things uh, hold. So um, thanks to VJ. See, see, once again, it's all these things happen uh, um, that, that contribute to, to my win, not just me playing golf, you know, me playing with, VJ, because I saw VJ on the Tuesday hitting balls. I said, VJ, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to play now. So come come and join me, sort of thing. So we played together, just him and I. And you know, he, he taught me this really cool bunker method. And I thought, God, okay, that's great. And then, you know, so then, you know, it's this, there's, there's so many factors, so many factors. I, you, speaking about so many factors, there were so many factors heading into Pinehurst, the, the, uh, amazing stories heading into even that, that final round. So Pinehurst itself, of course, it was hosting its, its first US Open since 1999, uh, which was won by Payne Stewart, who then subsequently tragically died a, a couple of months later. So it was very much an ode to Payne Stewart uh, that year. Um, I remember, the, of course, they unveiled the statue, and then I think it was the 18th Green, they had his silhouette on the flag. So, so you had that going in. And as a foreigner, you're already up against it playing in the States. So already you've got the, the ghost of Payne Stewart uh, looming over you, uh, an American three-time major winner. Then going into the final round, you had an almost unheard of Jason Gore who, who came from nowhere. And from what I understand, I think his car had been broken into a couple of days prior. And he really went there on the bones of his ass almost. And and suddenly, uh, I th- was he was he playing alongside you in that final round? Who was your playing partner? Oh no, he actually played with the teeth. Okay. Uh, they're in the last group behind me. I was playing with Olin Brown. Okay, and yeah. I, I mean, and then you've of course got Tigers. So you're a New Zealander trying to become only the second man from your country to to win a major. You're going up against arguably the greatest player that's ever lived. You're going up against an uh, Happy Gilmore type player in Jason Gore in the shadow 
of the late Payne Stewart. I mean, you, you really had everything going against you, yet you, you pulled through. Yeah, I know. It's incredible, isn't it? And plus, I had 60,000 people who were supporting Tigers. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, since once again, there's one thing I did too that I want to share with your, your viewers or listeners um, is, once again, it came from the golfing, golfing gods. It came, no one taught me this. And that last round, last nine holes was incredible because, you know, it was all about Tiger. And every time the Tiger had a good shot, I heard it. Every time he missed a shot, I heard it. You know, every time he hit a birdie, I heard it. You know, I heard everything. I heard every single what he was doing uh, during the last nine holes. So what, what I did, okay, so every time I heard chair for Tiger, Big chair, massive. And see, so you got to understand he's a tiger chair and a normal chair. It's it's, it's deafening. <laughs> so every time I heard a chair from um, Tiger doing something great, I was dobbing my hat. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really wet. Um, my, my caddy uh, at the time said, What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just transferring the energy from Tiger to me. As if they were cheering me for Tiger's good. Good play. Isn't that weird? I, I don't think it's weird. It's what I, I'm going to do next time I play against Derek. Every, <laughs> every time his teammate cheers him on for sinking a 20-meter putt. Because he doesn't say – Mike, no jokes, playing against this guy. He does not sink three-meter putts. He misses those. But give him a 15-meter putt that he has to sink to win a hole. He does it with his eyes closed. It's unreal. Uh, I, summon, really? I summon the spirits of Michael Campbell in the, the back nine <laughs> at Pinehurst in 2005. Yeah, but, but but isn't isn't it quite funny how um, you know I don't know where it came from. It's just a weird thing of. But I was transferring all the energy that the crowd's given to Tiger to me. I know okay. I, I I love it, and you know I think it's the way to go. I think uh, for many youngsters coming up, and and we have some great youngsters coming up from South Africa right now that we'll we'll ask you about shortly. But uh, you know that's one of the things that is tough is going up against an American. In America, those crowds are different. They are uh, quite raucous at certain places. They very patriotic around supporting their locals. And, I mean, your best chance of having a bit more of a, a neutral crowd is if you're up against a fellow uh, non-American um, and, and probably if you're up against a European as, a, as an international, that's probably not the worst thing if you're in America. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It is quite a different thing, and it's why we see a lot of guys who do really well on the European tour seem to struggle a bit in translating that into the PGA. Uh, I know the PGA is the ultimate tour. It's the, 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 the one with the most money. It's one of the most events. It's one with the, the most prestige it's seen as. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is a very different scenario playing there with those fans. And, you know, if you are able to, to summon their energy and use it for yourselves – uh, it it can be can be a truly great thing, Mike. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, how big was the celebration? Because we know New Zealanders know how to celebrate properly. Unfortunately, as Springbok rugby fans, we've seen too many celebrations from your countrymen. But uh, uh, guys, one what last <laughs> cup? Come on, that was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, l- listen, we've got our World Cup, and then we've decided not to play a game since then. So oh, remember, you're, you're only as good as your last game. So it's fine. <laughs> yes, true. Yeah. But I mean, how big was the celebration that night, that Sunday night? Uh, did you have family and friends around, or, or was it a bit muted until you got back home? 
Yeah, it was a little bit muted because I, I had um, obligations straight away after I won. I mean, I didn't leave the press uh, conference until like midnight, so I had like six hours of press stuff going on. Got back to my uh, hotel and had a few friends there, a couple of Kiwis, but um, my, obviously my caddy, but it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't great. I was saving myself. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I actually flew home probably about a month later to New Zealand to share my success with my people, uh, to promote the game, to grow the game. Uh, it wasn't for my own PR. It's the last thing I wanted. But uh, it was incredible, the response I got from all the uh, all the fans back home and, and obviously my family and stuff like that. It's quite overwhelming, actually, because, as you know, Kiwis are – they they love their sport, and especially rugby. And to have a uh, New Zealander win a, a major championship in golf, uh, they went crazy. So it was a pretty cool thing. Um, yeah, it was, had, had a ticket tape parade. You know, had hundred twenty thousand people turn up. Yeah, yeah. Who's the All Blacks? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I bumped off. I bumped off the Blacks from the from the from the sports page for a couple of couple of months. So that was nice. It was all about me. <laughs> All Blacks, so that's that's pretty cool. And I, I stopped Parliament because <laughs> yeah, t- t- two thousand and five was when uh, the same year as when the All Blacks uh, hosted the British and Irish Lions, and they they won three zip. And I think Tana Umaga was a, the captain at the time, and that's and you know, often people would see Tana and and Michael Campbell walking down the street, and they'd say, "Who's that guy walking with with Michael Campbell?" <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was crazy. I mean, don't forget, we're a very very small country, and every time. A sports person does well. They get a little bit crazy, especially in golf, because you know I'm the first Maori to win a golf uh, major, so that, it was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it was. It was the celebrations went on for a very long time, probably uh, too long. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we obviously massive fans of New Zealanders. Uh, birds of a feather. I love the country. It's absolutely beautiful, and and we see their cricket team doing incredibly well at the moment too. But just going going back uh, to to your win. Uh, I don't actually think we covered you sinking the, the winning putt, but after you won and, and, and you grabbed the trophy, I, I did. I do recall in a couple of interviews, um, which I've seen from you in the past, is in that Jack Nicholas spoke to you afterwards and you spoke about giving back to the game and a lot of that had to do with what uh, Mr. Uh, Nicholas had to say to you that day. Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, it was like probably a month later. Um, we had the President's Cup. Um Gary Player was our captain. It was a lot of fun. And uh, it was like a black tie dinner. And I saw Jack walking towards me. And, you know, I love Jack. He's a, he's a great man, wonderful man. And he said, Michael, well done for winning the US Open, your first major, hopefully many more to come. But all of a sudden, he, he changed completely. His eyes got that beady look. He goes, Michael, now you're a major winner. It's time to grow the game. And he walks off. <laughs> was it? He said, he said to me, yeah, the responsibility wrote this game and then walks off. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's quite a powerful statement. That's why I started my own golf academy eight years ago in, in um, southern Spain near Marbella. I've been doing that for the last eight years. Giving back to the game that's given me so much. I, I've been given, I, I've been so lucky, very fortunate in my life to, to play in so many wonderful places around the world and to achieve what I've achieved and meet wonderful people. You know, so this is my way of giving back to the game. I 
Uh, I mean, and, and you've done that incredibly well. And we've seen that the proof is in the pudding with, with the titles that go behind your name, including, of course, the, the US Open. I think you followed that up a couple of months later with the, the World Match Play, where in doing so, you also defeated Retief, who, of course, was leading going into that final round uh, before he capitulated. But uh, one of the, the more impressive performances in, in your history, and I go way back again. Sorry, I keep on going back. I, I think it was 1992, the Eisenhower Trophy, because, I mean, it's one thing for you to perform, but for you and three other New Zealanders to perform and, and win the World Amateur Trophy, uh, I mean, that takes some doing. A small island on the, the, the one side of the world who don't produce a lot of golfers to be able to, to win this, this massive amateur event. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember once again that uh, yeah, it was pretty cool as well. Uh, Philip Tataringi and Stephen Scarhill, Grant Moorhead, the other three guys on my team were just sublime. They played so well. And I remember the last, <laughs> funny story, I remember the last round we played, played with the Americans. The Americans had like a seven-shot lead going to the last round. So uh, I, played, I played with Dave Devell. Uh, Justin Landon was in the team then. Uh, Come on, the two guys. But yeah, I played with Dave Devell. So anyway, uh, after... Justin Leonard, I think, was in it, if I'm not. Jason Leonard. Yeah. I Justin, think, Justin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I, I played with uh, Double D or Dave DeVal and, and uh, we ended up winning by three or four. And the, <laughs> the funny thing story about that was, oh, it was amazing. I finished second uh, individual, which was pretty cool, second in the world uh, as an amateur. Uh, the funny thing about that, that story, is that because all they had, the, the promoters or the organisers, was the US National Anthem. Not the New Zealand one. So someone had to rush down to the nearest consulate, New Zealand consulate, to get the New Zealand national anthem. So we had like an hour delay for the prize giving. No. <laughs> so, well, so did you did you have to rush down after having won the tournament? No, not not um, me, but someone had to rush no. down to the nearest consulate to get to get a national anthem from New Zealand so they can play it. Wow. Uh, the ceremony and, and of course for for the millennials listening they they'd be thinking but why didn't you just go on the internet uh, of course that wasn't <laughs> no, the case back this, in 1992 this is going back 1992 so yeah 92 what, what was google then what's google what's internet what's, exactly. you know? that is so they had to run down to the concert but i mean they they asked though i heard like the organizers not not having the new zealand anthem uh coming back to bite them where, where did it take place in Canada. Oh, okay. That's enough said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mike, we've, already, we've, we've obviously spent time looking back, but uh, obviously this weekend is the US Open. Um, it's taking place at uh, Torrey Pines on the south course. And, uh, yeah, I mean, after Phil won the PGA Championship, um, you know, it's really up in the air. Who is going to... to be the man that takes home the title this weekend. John Rahm is the bookie's favorite. He is COVID cleared uh, this time around uh, after his brilliant run at uh, the Memorial. Saw him uh, withdrawn after three rounds. Didn't know that they needed to do that on the course to him. Um, thought they could have done that a little bit more subtly. But, uh, you know, whether you're, you're following it or not, is there any golfers that stick out to you that would be worth uh, – uh, if somebody was a betting man, but uh, who's worth a, a poke this week? Who do you think is going to uh, try and emulate you and get their name onto the trophy? 
Well, the thing is, you know, I noticed that the course has been extended again, so it's a long golf course. So obviously it's going to suit the the longer hitters. And now you think of Dustin Johnson, think of Brooks Koepka, Bryson, obviously. You know, these guys, uh, you know, John Rahm isn't short either. So, you know, these, I think I've got a handful of guys that think, you know, it could win this whole thing. You know, Phil Mickelson, he, he's, he's full of confidence right now. He's got great momentum going. He took long still, which is fantastic. I mean, he won, you know, won uh, the USPGA on the longest golf, you know, longest golf course in the major. In a, in a, in a major, so I mean, he's he's got the firepower. Um, yeah, so they're, they're pretty much my my, my picks um, for 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 this week. And but you never know, someone new could jump out uh, from nowhere. Uh, but like me, when I won two thousand and five, because I was ranked eighty six in the world when I won, I think it was. Um, so yeah, so you know, I, I played Tory back in 2008 when Tiger won the playoff against um, Rocco, and I never, oh yeah, I never, never forget the first time I played with Dustin Johnson was uh, during that week. He just turned pro. I see this young kid kind of walk up to the first tee, and he put his name next to mine, and and I, I teed off and it was fairway, and he booms one down. Down the fairway, I'm thinking, wow, this kid's pretty good. So he just turned pro. This is back in 2008. Don't forget. So a long time ago, and now he's obviously gone on to um, amazing things. So yeah, so that's my memory of Tory Pines. Um, uh, back in those days, it wasn't as long as now. So I would say it probably suits more the longer, uh, longer player or the stronger player off the tee. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, obviously from a South African point of view, we've got uh, young Vilko Ninaba who is hitting the ball incredibly long. Oh, but um, uh, it's... I saw him hit balls for the first time, I think, about six months ago. It was like, oh, my God, what that is phenomenal. And, and you know what's so great about him is, unlike Bryson, I mean, a Bryson is phenomenal. Uh, whether you're a fan of his or not, I think, you know, he's... He's gone and chosen the way he wants to beat the golf course, and he's worked incredibly hard to get there. And you have to salute that, whether you agree with his his approach or not. I, I think it's it's great to show that somebody can can do it. But the difference is, Vulcan Ninaba is just such a natural, smooth swing, and he generates the the most incredible uh, swing speed and distance. It's it's just really great to see. Well, the thing is that you know, obviously. From Bryson's point of view, it's more more of a scientific kind of um, uh, uh, belief. You know, he it's all about science. But with Wilco, for example, it's all about just natural talent. So, you know, if you bring those two together, that's that's a pretty cool, that's a pretty good um, combination right there. Uh, which which I, I love. I love the whole thing. How Bryson's gone scientific and that sort of stuff. He's done what he's done. You know, gaining all this power. It's going to uh, bring another. You know, dimension of, of people to the game is going to grow the game, I think. And, you know, you, you can't go past you know, Brooksy. Uh, he always performs well in majors. It's just incredible how he does that. I don't know how he does that mentally, but obviously he does it very, 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 very well. And, well, and, and, and you brought him up, but uh, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, obviously have made the news a lot recently because of their, uh, their bromance that is anything but. And at a time where the PGA Tour is full of uh, mates, uh, what do you think? Uh, the Bryson uh, Brooks feud is it good or bad for golf? And and uh, yourself, was there ever a player that you just uh, love to get one over? Love to hate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, 
without 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 using those words yeah love to hate um no not really i'm i'm pretty classic kind of no i mean i i mean throughout my career i've I'll get on with pretty much everybody. Obviously, there's an underlying kind of uh, fire going on with those guys right now. I don't know what it is. No one's going to know what it is unless they, they say it. But um, it's a banter. It's gone beyond magic now. It's a little bit silly now. It's time to, you know, pull the reins back a little bit and just go and just play golf now. You know, you know, social media is, is a great platform to do some wonderful stuff, but also it can cause more more problems that, 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 than, it, than it should. So, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough line, but you know, just just play golf, man. That's all I can say. Just play golf, get and play golf. In contrast to that, just before we went on air, we were busy chatting and we had our cameras on. You saw me drinking a glass of wine, and immediately you, you spoke about Stellenbosch. And there's a, a tremendous affinity between South Africans and New Zealanders and, and Australians, for that matter. And and you mentioned that off air. So were you very close to the South Africans and the Aussies? And, and who else uh, during your professional playing days? You, you spoke about having breakfast with Retif Quirson the, the morning of that final round. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, as I said before, it's that colonial connection. You know, we all played cricket. I think we were better than you guys right now in cricket. But anyway, uh, we're rugby. <laughs> how, how the times have changed. We're the world champions in rugby, oh, and you better you you're, you could potentially become the, the world champions in test cricket. <laughs> I oh, know that's that's scary. <laughs> and then rugby, no, no. I mean, you know, all, all the Australians, South Africans, uh, and New Zealanders get on so well together. Uh, we kind of congregate uh, with each other every single time we see each other. Our families get on well. You know, our kids get on well. It's a, it's a nice connection to get, to, to be. A, you got to understand a bit. To be on tour is quite lonely, and to have people on the same mentality line mentality really is, is kind of nice because we all we talk about uh during dinners is is rugby and cricket <laughs> every time <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite phenomenal like you know you can't you can't spend you know uh dinner with a bunch of americans the one we talk about is basketball and, mm. and american football which i don't understand at all so so once again it's that it's that it's, it's a great leveler i think between us is to have that kind of uh you know all these common, common, common things, common denominators. Who, who did you enjoy spending time with the most? I mean, I've heard the entertainment stories regarding Ernie are, are legendary, and I remember watching an interview with you where there's a there's a framed picture on your wall back in Spain, uh, where it's walking oh, down the fairway uh-huh. yourself, Nicky Price, uh-huh. um, Ernie Els, and Tiger. Greg Norman. Uh, Greg Norman. No. Greg Norman. Apologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my 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 best mate on tour. Um, during those years was um, was definitely Retief. Retief Goose and I were very, very close. Our wives at the time, well, uh, my yeah, the wives were very, very close. Our kids were very close. So every time we got together, we'll play in the same time. We, we, you know, we saw each other pretty much every day <laughs> sort of thing. Because you know, it's, it's all about having common ground. Yes, common ground is in golf, but we also Retief and I share a passion for, for cars. And so, you know, and, and the wives talked about their other stuff that they like uh, as well. But, uh, yeah, Retief and I were, were best of mates. And I'll, I'll tell you a very quick story because I need, I have to go soon, guys. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> um, uh, I'll tell you a quick story how, how close we are. Uh, Retief and I were playing in a in a match or not, in a tournament called the Trophy Lancome back in 2002. And uh, we're standing on the third round, 8.30 in the morning. We, we're bored with, like, 
come in 40th, right, after three rounds. After, sorry, after two rounds, coming about 40th. And so we're standing there, and uh, and on the, on the first tee, and, and we're talking about cars. And, and I said to, to Retief, I just bought a Ferrari, because I, I just sold my Ferrari. But Retief had the cover for his Ferrari. I said, okay, Retief, let's play for your Ferrari cover. And so I said, okay, here's the deal. If I win today, you give the Ferrari cover for me to me for free. If you win, I'll pay you a thousand pounds for it. Because okay, done. So we, we play, we both shoot sixty-four. Because we're trying to beat each other. <laughs> so it's all, all, it's all about playing a game within a game. <laughs> and so the next day we we'll pair together again. Now we're like top ten or top eight or something like that. So we moved up a lot. And I said to Retief, same deal. You know, if I win, you know, you give me the Ferrari cover. If you win, I'll pay you a thousand pounds for the Ferrari cover. Anyway, so great round. He finishes first and I finished second. <laughs> he shot 65 and I shot 66 or something. It was, it, see, see, things like that, you know, it's, we've gone from like, 40th to winning and coming second is, is a good story. So, so whatever money you won, you had to give up a thousand pounds of that to to get your Ferrari cover. Well, well, but, uh, bless the soul. He said to me, he rang me the next day. Said, Tambo, you can you can have the Ferrari cover. Oh, he just won dollars. So. <laughs> I can buy, buy a thousand of them. Uh, sorry, yeah. Mike. I know you got to go, but uh, I've got one more before before I hand it over to Ty for the goodbyes. But uh, when we spoke about the affinity with the South African players, but what about your affinity with South Africa? You, you've played here quite a few times. Uh, we miss you. You haven't been here in, in quite a while. Uh, do you enjoy playing down south? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love being there. I played at Joe Big Open. I played um, about three or four million dollar events and I love the crowds there, the enthusiasm. I mean, once again, it's that connection of, of colonial connection between us, between the fans and the other players. I mean, I, I miss coming down there. I haven't been in Stanley Isn't that disgusting? That is. I mean, I, lo- oh, I love my red wine. Yeah, we'll ma- my, we'll you know, have to make a plan. I promise you. We'll we'll welcome you with open arms I, and treat no, you like royalty. No, no. It's terrible. I haven't been to Stellenbosch. It just does, that drives me nuts. So, you know, one day, I'm going to go down there one day to do like a, a and to be like a tourist, hopefully one day. I tell you what, when you come and be as a tourist, let us know and uh, we'll uh, take you on a tour of a very good golf course. I don't uh, want to play and golf. And then some wine off why, why do I play golf? When I'm a tourist, I mean, because that, that, that's how I like to tour is is golf courses and wine farms, safari, safari and wine. There you uh, go. You, you're speaking I mean, to a man. I literally yeah. just got back from Kruger National Park about. A oh, I'm couple jealous. Of hours ago. I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, I tell you what. How about this? We we go to the Kruger for a safari, and while we're there. Uh, we'll play around a golf while you're looking at the leopards and then meet up for wine afterwards. I, I can always carry for you if you want. Oh, yes, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> done, done, yeah, done. Yeah, D- Derek, needs, uh, Derek needs help with those three-meter putts, but on the 20-meter <laughs> ones, that, that might be me that needs the help. <laughs> That's good, guy. Oh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we want to... Uh, we really appreciate the time and best of luck for, for the, the senior tour. It's starting tomorrow. I believe it is the pro-am tomorrow. So hopefully your uh, amateurs that you've been paired up with are a good laugh on the course. Uh, <laughs> and it's a good jaw over the next uh, 
three, four days before you uh, take home the money on Sunday. And of course, see who takes home the Jack Nicholas medal on on Sunday. But by the way, did you ever, I know they only started giving the medal in later years. Did they ever come back and give uh, the previous winners medals? Yeah, I've got one. Yeah, I've got one. Okay. Yeah. Be, be, before you go, and, we, we've got to ask uh, your. Uh, we always do this on the show. We ask for your your dream four ball, including yourself. So three other players. Who would you most like to play with, and on what course? The Cole Kidman. Okay. <laughs> uh, Al Caddy. No, <laughs> Sorry, what was the lo- the second one you just broke up? Uh, Nelson Mandela. Okay. I'm not saying it because he got, but Nelson Mandela. I mean, he's and Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. <laughs> yeah, that, that's without a doubt the most eclectic mix we've ever had. No, 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 no. Sorry, no. Get rid of Justin Timberlake, Nicole Kidman, uh, Nelson Mandela, and Will Smith. Ah, I like that. Yeah, no offense to to Justin. Uh, I'd far prefer to. Yeah to have uh, Will Smith on board. <laughs> Michael Campbell, we, you said you'd give us an half an hour and it's uh, just ticking over to an hour. We really, really appreciate it. Mate, it's been now, amazing. Now, actually, see, this is, this is the bro thing, okay? This is the bro thing. You're pushing it because now I'm late for my next appointment, next Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> because now texting me saying, Michael, where are you? Oh, oh, my bad, my bad. Uh, our bad. You, you, know, you, you know what, and I'm going to keep you on because I know you want to talk about this, and this is the brilliant thing because, you know, it was amazing a couple of weeks ago, and I know I brought this up on social media today, which, which you kind of liked uh, on, on Twitter, and it was a, a rubbish article written by a rubbish mag, I don't want to mention them, uh, where they said the most, yeah, the, the most underwhelming uh, US Open winner in history, and they mentioned you, which of course is nonsense, uh, obviously, and... And you went about replying to it, taking photos of your trophy that you won at the US Open, <laughs> and you had taped over, um, yeah. over the signature saying, underwhelming winner, something along those lines. Yeah. It was brilliant. The most perfect repost. Uh, well, yeah, exactly, response. The thing is that you can reply two different ways, anger or through humor. I thought humor is probably the best way. And I had a massive response from everyone, so mm. it was cool. Uh, but Derek, I love you guys. But I have to f-ing go now. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, cheers, my uh, man. Sup, Mike. Good luck this weekend. Okay, mate. Cheers, guys. Cheers. cheers man. Thanks. What a way to say cheers, and and what a guy, Ty. Yeah, I mean, listen. When when you reach out to these guys who uh, who have eaten at the finest table, the finest golfing table in the land, and they've they've eaten well, they've taken some of that cutlery home in the form of a cup. Um, and they still have time for two uh, real nobodies from South Africa. It's just an amazing thing, and you know that's that's what we're here to do. We we're, we're here to to tell you the wonderful stories of golf, to give people a platform to share their stories. And you know, when when legends like Michael Campbell have time for it, it's just such a great thing to hear. And you know, it's such a a fun man, a man with a, a great mentality and. You know, I know there are a lot of youngsters and a lot of uh, young parents listening to this. Get your kids to listen to that. You know, it is your choice what you think on that tee box. And, you know, Derek, next time I'm playing against Team Herrick, I'm coming (laughs) with Michael Campbell-inspired thoughts. So you are in trouble. Yeah, well, the joke's on you because I'm going to do the exact same thing.
So whoever gets the most Michael Campbell-inspired thoughts will uh, end up victorious. So may, may the best man win who inspires uh, the, the, the champion that is Michael Campbell. What a great guy. What a great guest. And uh, just on signing off, remember... Uh, Raider Golf uh, coming to you across a host of different platforms, social media-wise. But, uh, of course, you can pick us up uh, in terms of the podcast on Apple, on uh, Spotify, the works. But in doing so, there's also plenty of uh, prizes that that we're giving away along the way, including uh, Golf Champs. And we know the Golf Champs Raider Golf Pool. We spoke about it in the last episode. Simply log on to Golf Champs. Can you remember the code? I... Yeah, if you give me a second to... <laughs> you, you go find it out. I'll, I'll remind everyone what the prizes are. Uh, first prize, a 500 Rand voucher courtesy of Golfers Club, as well as a one-year subscription to Complete Golfer. And then second and third also get a one-year subscription to Complete Golfer. All you need to do is go on to Golf Champs and select four players to make up your team. And their total world ranking must be at least... 100. Nice and simple. Did you did you pick Daniel Berger? I didn't. Not this time around. You are no longer the Burger King. No, I'm not. No, he was rubbish, though, last time around. He managed to make the cut, and then he just completely capitulated. <laughs> it was actually it was pretty much the same as having someone who didn't make the cut because he had the, lowest, he had the worst score after that. So I, I took his score regardless. <laughs> <laughs> you would have had his score too, Ty, with the three guys that missed the cut from, from your side. Yeah, yeah. Going on yeah to I, the had PGA. Three, I had it three times. You had it once. <laughs> but uh, the pool code is 20423478. That's on golfchamps.net. 20423478. Or if you can't remember that and you, you don't know how the rewind button works, no problem. Go over to Instagram. It's at Golf. And you'll see it there. Join us, listen in. Let us know what your picks are. Share us, tag it in, uh, tag us on Instagram. And you know what? If you're really creative, maybe we'll send something your way if it grabs our attention. Challenge is there. Can you summon the Michael Campbell and make it count? Yeah. Don't have anything more to say. <laughs> what a great interview. Michael Campbell, you're a legend. Uh, great to have you on board. And I can't wait for him to caddy for me over at Skakuza uh, while we're enjoying uh, our pinotage and uh, safari. Uh, thanks very much, Ty. As always, well done on getting hold of Mike and uh, enjoy the US Open.